0: section 34 of tdewit talmage as i knew him this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by fiddlesticks tdewit talmage as i knew him by eleanor mccutchen collier talmage the third milestone part 4 there is a throng of people of all classes in the streets of jerusalem by a look and gesture indicating that something wonderful is advancing acclamations fill the air the crowd parts enough to allow christ to pass seated on the side of a colt which was led by john whom jesus especially loved the saviour's hands are spread above the throng in benediction while he looks upon them with a kindness and sympathy that win the love of the excited multitude Arriving at the door of the temple, Jesus dismounts, and, walking over the palm branches and garments which are strewn and unrolled in his way, he enters the temple, and finds that parts of that sacred structure are turned into a marketplace, with cages of birds and small droves of lambs and heifers, which the dealers would sell to those who wanted to take a live offering to the temple. Indignation gathers on the countenance of Christ, where gentleness had reigned he denounces these merchants, who stood there overreaching in their bargains and exorbitantly outrageous in their charges. The doors of the cages holding the pigeons are opened, and in their escape they fly over the stage and over the audience. The table on which the exchangers had been gathering unreasonable percentage was thrown down and a coin rattled over the floor, and the place was cleared of the dishonest invaders— who go forth to plot the ruin and the death of him who had so suddenly expelled them the most impressive character in all the sacred drama is christ the impersonator anton lang seems by nature far better fitted for this part than was his predecessor joseph mayer who took that part in eighteen seventy eighteen eighty and eighteen ninety mayer is very tall brawny athletic his hair was black in those days and his countenance now is severe he must have done it well, but I can hardly imagine him impersonating gentleness and complete submission to abuse. But Anton Lang, with his blonde complexion, his light hair, blue eyes, and delicate mouth, his exquisiteness of form and quaintness of manner, is just like what Raphael and many of the old masters present. When we talked with Anton Lang in private, he looked exactly as he looked in the Passion Play. This is his first year in the Christ character and his success is beyond criticism. In his trade as a carver of wood, he has so much to do in imitating the human countenance that he understands the full power of expression, the way he listens to the unjust charges in the court-room, his bearing when the ruffians bind him, and his manner when, by a hand thick-gloved so as not to get hurt, a crown of thorns was put upon his brow, and the officers, with long bands of wood, press it down upon the head of the sufferer all show that he has a talent to depict indefinite agony no more powerful acting was ever seen on the stage than that of john zwink the judas in repose there is no honester face in ober than his twenty years ago he appeared in the passion-play as st john one would suppose that he would do best in a representation of geniality and mildness but in the character of judas he represents in every wrinkle of his face and in every curl of his hair and in every glare of his eye and in every knuckle of his hand with which he clutches the money-bag hypocrisy and avarice and hate and low strategy and diabolism the quickness with which he grabs the bribe for the betrayal of the lord the villainous leer at the master while seated by the holy supper show him to be capable of any wickedness what a spectacle when the traitorous lips are pressed against the pure cheek of the immaculate one the disgusting smack desecrating the holy symbol of love but after judas has done his deadly work then there comes upon him a remorse and terror such as you have never seen depicted unless you have witnessed the passion-play at the foot of the bavarian mountains his start at imaginary sounds his alarm at a creaking door his fear at nothing the grinding teeth and the clenched fist indicative of the mental torture the dishevelled hair the beating of his breast with his hands the foaming mouth the implication the shriek the madness the flying here and there in the one attempt to get rid of himself the horror increased at his every appearance whether in company or alone regarded in contrast with the dagger scene of macbeth makes the latter mere child's play that day john's wink in the character of judas preached fifty sermons on the ghastliness of betrayal the fire-smart of ill-gotten gain the iron-beaked vulture of an aroused conscience all the bloodhounds of despair seemed tearing him then when he can endure the anguish no longer he loosens the long girdle from his waist and addresses that girdle as a snake crying out "Ha!" come thou serpent entwine my neck and strangle the betrayer and hastily ties it about his neck and tightens it then rushes up the branches of a tree for suicide and the curtain closes before four thousand breathless auditors do i approve of the passion-play at Oberammergau? my only answer is that i was never so impressed in all my life with the greatness of the price that was paid for the redemption of the human race the suffering depicted was so awful that i cannot now understand how i could have endured looking upon its portrayal it is amazing that thousands in the audience do not faint into a swoon as complete as that of the soldiers who fell on the stage of the lord's reanimation from joseph's mausoleum "'Imagine what it would be to see a soldier seemingly thrust a spear into the Saviour's side "'and see the crimson rush from the laceration. "'Would I see it acted again? "'No, I would not risk my nerves again under the strain of such a horror. "'One dreams of it at nights after. "'When Christ, carrying his cross, falls under it, and you see him on his hands and knees, "'his forehead ensanguined with the twisted brambles, "'and Veronica comes to him offering a handkerchief to wipe away the tears.' and sweat and blood your own forehead becomes beaded with perspiration as the tragedy moves on solemnity is added to solemnity not so much as a smile in the eight hours except the slight snicker of some fool such is sure to be found in all audiences where the cock crew twice after peter had denied him thrice what may seem strange to some i was much impressed with christ's mental agony as with his physical pangs oh what a scene when in gethsemane he groaned over the sins of the world for which he was making expiation until the angelic throngs of heaven were so stirred by his impassioned utterance that one of their white-winged number came out to comfort the angel of the new covenant some of the tableaux or living pictures between the acts of this drama were graphic and thrilling such as adam and eve expelled from arborescence into homelessness joseph because of his picturesque attire sold into serfdom from which he mounts to the prime minister's chair the palace gates shut against queen vashti because she declines to be immodest manna snowing down into the hands of the hungry israelites grapes of eshcol so enormous that one cluster is carried by two men on a staff between them naboth stoned to death because ahab wants his vineyard blind samson between the pillars of the temple of dagon making very destructive sport for his enemies these tableaux are chiefly intended as a breathing spell between the acts of the drama. The music rendered requires seven basses and seven tenors, ten sopranos and ten contraltos. Edward Lang has worked thirty years educating the musical talent of the village. The passion play itself is beyond criticism, though it would have been mightier if two hours less in its performance. The subtraction would be an addition." the drama progresses from the entering into jerusalem to the condemnation by the sanhedrin showing all the world that crime may be committed according to law as certainly as crime against law oh the hard-visaged tribunal countenances as hard as the spears as hard as the spikes as hard as the rocks under which the master was buried who can hear the metallic voice of that caiaphas without thinking of some church court that condemned a man better than themselves caiaphas is as hateful as judas blessed is that denomination of religionists which has not more than one caiaphas on goes the scene till we reach the good-bye of mary and christ at bethany who will ever forget that woman's cry or the face from which suffering has dried the last tear who would have thought that Anna Flunger, the maiden of twenty-five years, could have transformed her fair and happy face into such concentration of gloom and grief and woe? Mary must have known that the good-bye at Bethany was final, and that the embrace of the mother and son was their last earthly embrace. It was the saddest parting since the earth was made, never to be equalled while the earth stands. What groups of sympathetic women tried to comfort her as only woman can comfort? on goes the sacred drama till we come to the foot washing a few days before while we were in vienna we had explained to us the annual ceremony of foot washing by the emperor of austria it always takes place at the close of the lent twelve very old people are selected from the poorest of the poor they are brought to the palace at the last foot washing the youngest of twelve was eighty-six years of age and the oldest ninety-two the imperial family and all those in high places gather for this ceremony an officer precedes the emperor with a basin of water for many days the old people have been preparing for the scene the emperor goes down on one knee before each one of these venerable people puts water on the arch of the foot and then wipes it with a towel when this is done a rich provision of food and drink is put before each one of the old people but immediately removed before anything is tasted then the food and cups and knives and forks are put in twelve sacks and each one has his portion allotted him the old people come to the foot-washing in the emperor's carriage and return in the same way and they never forget the honour and splendour of that occasion oh the contrast between that foot-washing amid pomp and brilliant ceremony and the imitated foot-washing of our lord at ober before each one of the twelve apostles christ comes down so slowly that a sigh of emotion passes through the great throng of spectators christ even washes the feet of judas was there in all time or eternity past or will there be in all time or eternity to come such a scene of self-abnegation the lord of heaven and earth stooping to such a service which must have astounded the heavens more than its dramatization overpowered us what a stunning rebuke to the pride and arrogance and personal ambition of all ages the hand of god on human foot and ablution no wonder the quick tempered peter thought it incongruous and forbade its taking place crying out thou shalt never wash my feet but the lord broke him down until peter vehemently asked that his head and hands be washed as well as his feet during eight hours on that stage it seems as though we were watching a battle between the demons of the pit and the seraphs of light and the demons triumph eight hours telling a sadness with every moment worse than its predecessor all the world against him and hardly any let up so that we feel like leaving our place and rushing for the stage and giving congratulations with both hands to simon and cyrene as the lightness of the cross from the shoulder of the sufferer and to nicodemus who voted an emphatic no at the condemnation and to joseph of arimathea who asks the honour of being undertaker at the obsequies scene after scene act after act until at the scourging every stroke fetches the blood and the purple mantle is put upon him in derision and they slap his face and they push him off the stool upon which he sits laughing at his fall on until from behind the curtain you hear the thumping of the hammers on the spikes on until hanging between two bandits he pledges paradise within twenty-four hours to the one and commits his own broken-hearted mother to john asking him to take care of her in her old age and his complaint of thirst that brings a sponge moistened with sour wine on the end of a staff and blasphemy has hurled at him its last curse and malice has uttered concerning him its last lie and contempt has spit upon him its last foam and the resources of perdition are exhausted and from the shuddering form and white lips comes the exclamation it is finished at that moment there resounded across the river Ammer and through the village of omer amurgo a crash that was responded to by the echoes of the bavarian mountains the rocks tumbled back off the stage and the heavens roared and the graves of the dead were wrecked and it seemed as if the earth itself had foundered in its voyage through the sky the great audience almost leaped to its feet at the sound of that tempest and earthquake look the ruffians are tossing dice for the ownership of the master's coat the darkness thickens night blackening night hark the wolves are howling for the corpse of the slain lord then with more pathos and tenderness than can be seen in reuben's picture descent from the cross in the cathedral at antwerp is the dead christ lowered and there rises the wailing of crushed motherhood and the solemn tread of the mutilated body is sepulchred but soon the door of the mausoleum falls and forth comes the christ and standing on the shoulder of mount olivet he is ready for ascension then the hallelujah chorus from the seven hundred voices before and behind the scenes closes the most wonderful tragedy ever enacted as we rose for departure we felt like saying with the blind preacher whom william Wirt, the orator of virginia heard concluding his sermon to a backwoods congregation socrates died like a philosopher but jesus died like a god i have been asked whether this play would ever be successfully introduced into america or england i think there is some danger that it may be secularized and turned into a mercenary institution instead of the long ride by carriages over rough mountain roads for days and days as formerly was necessary in order to reach over amergo there are now two trains a day which land tourists for the passion-play and among them may appear some american theatrical manager who finding that john zwink of ober amargo impersonates the spirit of grab and cheat and insincerity better than any one who treads the american stage and only received for his wonderful histrionic ability what equals forty-five pounds sterling for ten years may offer him five times as much compensation for one night if avarice could clutch judas with such a relentless grasp at the offer of thirty pieces of silver what might be the proportionate temptation of a thousand pieces of gold the impression made upon dr talmage by the passion-play was stirring and reverent he described it as one of the most tremendous and fearful experiences of his life i have seen it once but i will not see it again he said i would not dare risk my nerves to such an awful harrowing ordeal Accustomed as I am to think almost constantly on all that the Bible means, the Passion Play was an unfolding, a new and thrilling interpretation, a revelation. I never before realized the capabilities of the Bible for dramatic representation. We went from Oberammergo to that modern Eden for the overwrought nerves of kings and commoners. Baden, Baden, where we spent ten days. At the end of this time we returned to Paris to enjoy the exposition at our leisure. Paris is always a place of brightness and pleasure. King Leopold of Belgium was among the distinguished guests of the French capital, whom we saw one day while driving in the Boise. We made visits to Versailles and the Palace of Fontainebleau. The doctor enjoyed these trips into the country, and always managed to make his arrangements so that he could go with us from paris we went to london for a farewell visit dr talmage had promised to preach in john wesley's chapel in the city road known as the cathedral of methodism on sunday september thirtieth nineteen hundred the crowd was so great that had come to hear dr talmage that a cordon of police was necessary to guard the big iron gates after the church was filled the text of his sermon that day was significant it may have been a conception of his own life work its text it was taken from a passage in the eleventh chapter of daniel the people that do know their god shall be strong and do exploits it is difficult to conceive of the enthusiasm that dr talmage aroused everywhere in the immense crowds that gathered to see and hear him during our stay in london at this time after a preaching service in a church in piccadilly the wheels of our carriage were seized and we were like a small island in a black sea of restless men and women the driver couldn't move. The doctor took it with great delight and stood up in the carriage making an address. From where he was standing he could not see the police charging the crowd to scatter them. When he did, he realized that he was aiding in obstructing the best-regulated thoroughfare in London. Stopping his address, he said, We must recognize the authority of the law, and sat down. It was said that Dr. Talmage was the only man who had ever stopped the traffic in Piccadilly. From London, Dr. Talmage and I went together for a short visit to the Isle of Wright and later to Swansea, where he preached. We left the girls with Lady Lyle at Sir John Lyle's house in London. It had become customary, whenever the doctor made an address, to ask me to sit on the platform, and in this way I became equal to looking a big audience in the face. But one day the doctor overestimated my talents. He came in with more than his usual whirr and said to me, "'Eleanor, I have been asked if you won't dedicate a new building at the Wood Green Wesleyan Church in North London, and I said I thought you would, and accepted for you. Won't you please do this for me?' There was no denying him, and I consented, provided he would help me with the address. He did, and on the appointed day, when we drove out to the place, I had the notes of my speech held tightly crumpled in my glove.' There was the usual crowd that had turned out to hear Dr. Talmage, who was to preach afterwards, and I was genuinely frightened. I remember, as we climbed the steps to the speaker's platform, the doctor whispered to me, Courage, Eleanor! what other woman have done you can do. I almost lost my equilibrium when I was presented with a silver trowel as a souvenir of the event. There was nothing about a silver trowel in my notes. However, the event passed off without any calamity— but it was my first and last appearance in public as the time approached for us to return to america the doctor looked forward to the day of sailing it had all been a wonderful experience even to him who had for so many years been in the glare of public life he had reached the highest mark of public favor as a man and as a preacher was the most celebrated of his time i wonder now as i realize the strain of work he was under that he gave me so little cause for anxiety considering his years he was a marvel of health and strength there may have been days when his genius burned more dimly than others and often i would ask him if the zest of his work was as great if he was a bit tired hoping that he would yield a little to the trend of the years but he was as strong and buoyant in his energies as if each day were a new beginning his enjoyment of life was inspiring his hold upon the beauty of it never relaxed from london we went to belfast on a very stormy day Dr. Talmage was advised to wait a while, but he had no fear of anything. That crossing of the Irish Channel was the worst sea-trip I ever had. We arrived in Belfast, battered and ill from the stormy passage, all but the doctor, who went stoically ahead with his engagements, with undiminished vigour. Going up in the elevator of the hotel one day, we met Mrs. Langtree. Dr. Talmadge had crossed the ocean with her. "'Won't you come and see my play tonight?" she asked him. "'I am very sorry, madame, but I am speaking myself to-night,' said the doctor courteously. He told me afterwards how fortunate he felt it to be that he was able to make a real excuse. Invitations to the theatre always embarrassed him. From Belfast we went to Cork for a few days, making a trip to Killarney Lakes before sailing from Queenstown on October eighteenth, 1900, on the Oceanic. Isn't it good to be going back to America?' Back to that beautiful city of Washington, said the doctor, the moment we got on board. Whatever he was doing, whichever way he was going, he was always in pursuit of the joy of living. Although the greatest year of my life was drawing to a close, it all seemed then like an achievement rather than a farewell, like the beginning of a perfect happiness, the end of which was in remote perspective. End of section 34